0: Stand by for action. This is your captain speaking. We've been cleared for
1: departure. Okay, Eddie, start the countdown.
0: Five, four, three, two, one. Stay! by for action. Welcome back to Eddie's Launchpads, the Dogstorp Infant School podcast for parents, teachers and schools. Thank you for joining us today. Hello to all you children who I know listen out there across Cambridgeshire. It's lovely to have you with us. Now I've got Louise Mercier with us today and she's from My Health Kick. She's a returning guest. She came onto our podcast and she left with us a wonderful book which had a big influence on our school which we'll share with you a little bit later in this conversation, but Louise, it's lovely to have you on the show.
1: Thank you for having me
0: back. Now, for those new listeners, uh, and we thank you to all those who have started listening this 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 past month. Uh, we've had quite a lot of new listeners. For those who weren't uh, uh, listening when you came on the show last time, could you just share with us your work and what you offer?
1: Yeah, of course. So I am a nutritional therapist which means I look very much at the role that food has on every aspect of our health. And I think when we think about food and healthy eating, we often just think about, you know, making sure that we have vegetables and not having too much sugar. But food is fascinating and food goes a lot deeper than we think it does. And food should have more of a role at the table, if you'll pardon the pun, um, with policies and of education, because obviously if we think about the food we eat it impacts on every single thing we do including every motion and every decision so when we think about children particularly in an education setting we expect a lot of them you know we expect them to you know sit still and concentrate and learn and remember and get on well with peers and you know be active and be excited when we want them to be you know and that's a that's a big biological demand and food has a really significant role to play in all of those factors so I focus a lot on early years and education because it's if we don't get that right, then, you know, where are we with the next generation? So it's really, really important. It's a really good window of opportunity that we have with children to really influence and educate them as well as us ups Because children are quite fascinated by their own biology and quite willing to listen and take it in if it's done in the right way. Uh, you know, the body is amazing and we can make it really exciting for children in terms of all the amazing things the body does, which is what I try and do with my work.
0: Now, one of the things that influenced our school, soap Infants, uh, you you very kindly donated to us two copies of your book, How Food Shapes Your Child. And um, that had a big influence on us. Um, the head teacher has got a copy of your book and our wellbeing champion has got a book who she's she works with our families at the school. And um, we we looked at your book and that made us look at the menus that we have in school.
1: It's wonderful to hear that you can implement such a big change from the book because the book is it's part recipes, but it's also part nutritional science. So it shows you the impact. And you've probably looked at the brain bit because that's the most interesting, I think, um, the chapter on building a child's brain and the nutritional influences that go into the actual biology of building a brain. And it has a ridiculously fast pace of growth and development in the early years does the human brain. It is astonishing how much growth goes on in the human brain, but also just day to day functioning. You know, the things that on the school menu actually will impact very much on the afternoon at school. And that obviously impacts on teachers as well as children. Um, And teachers want children to be, you know, emotionally regulated and stable. And food has a big impact on our ability to do that if our blood sugar is all over the place which often a lunch can fuel, then our attention's going to be all over the place. Our emotions are going to be all over the place. We are not going to sit, learn and remember anything. We're not going to, you know, because we're going to be up and down on a blood sugar roller coaster. Mm. And when our blood sugar's on a roller coaster, so are our moods. So it very much has an impact. And I'm really pleased that the children are enjoying all the new things.
0: Well, we, we use uh, stickers. Uh, If they, if they choose a different way, if they want to experiment and choose something different. And uh, we've got them eating all different types of rice and all different types of chicken in sauces and uh, chili con carne and all sorts of stuff like that, that makes them think beyond the, the, the norm. Because, of course, if you give a child a choice... And particularly a young child, then chances are, unless they've you've, you've schooled them—no pun intended—really early in their life, then well, there's nothing more tempting than a burger and a pizza, but that's not off—that's not the best choice, is it?
1: No, absolutely. I think you've mentioned the drivers and that's one thing that's really important and one thing that I'm taking a step further from the book now um, and with my early years course series of the same name of the book. And one of the big things with that is how we influence shaping a child's food relationship, which is very much like you said, that that little thing of what do I choose, you know, pizza or, you know, what else is on offer? And it's those drivers that are really, really deeply embedded within the early years. And we influence that as grown-ups by the way that we present food. So if we get very excited and smiley and our eyes are bright and we're animated, when we present a very young child with something like cake for the first time. Now, we as the grown-up might like cake and might be really, really excited to share the cake with the often far too young child. Like I'm talking, a can just about hold themselves up in a high chair um, being presented with cake. Of course, their palate is going to light up and be excited because a they've seen the excitement in their grown up coming to give it to them, so they've they've had this heightened state of excitement because of the way their grown up has been. Um, But then, of course, the, the sugary palate, you know, sensation that they get from that food. So we have to be very conscious and mindful of our role in influencing their food relationship because if we are apologetic over vegetables or apologetic over healthy food because we feel it's the right thing to do, but we're not overly excited by it, they're going to pick up on that. They're absolutely going to pick up on the subtle signs, because children are amazing at picking up on subtle signs. Um, So we just need to be mindful of that. And it's so hard to overcome once they've been established. So as you say, if a child is kind of, you know, already rooted in the brain pathway, rooted towards certain choices, it's really hard to change that. It's Mm. really hard to change that once it's established. And we were just talking off air about grown-ups with unhealthy food relationships. All of them, nearly all of them, and I've worked with people for 11 years in food, nearly all of their food relationships stems from childhood. So when they're, you know, in a love-hate relationship with food, on and off diets, or, you know, having that guilt and shame over what they've eaten or, you know, if they fell off the wagon or I've, I've been really bad. I hate words like that around food. Nobody should put that on themselves and feel that way. But nearly always those patterns have driven from early childhood pathways in the brain. So we can help with children. We have a window of opportunity within the very early years with children to root those pathways a healthy way. That's not to say they can never have cake or chocolate. But they will choose when they want it and be in control, not the other way around, not the food being in control. And that's the main difference.
0: Mm. For people who uh, want to get a hold of your book, uh, I'm assuming it's still in print and it's still available. If people want to get a hold of our Food Shapes My Child, where can they go to get that? Is it on Amazon?
1: I fell out with Amazon. I have okay. to be honest. As a seller, it's it, it didn't work for me. They, you know, it just it wasn't so. It's I just independently sell it on my own website, um, thehealthkick.co.uk. It's on the homepage. As soon as you go on my website homepage, there's a picture of the book with a link to it, and it is on offer at the moment. So it is reduced. Um, and it's ten pound. So it's and um, and that's all in. So so yeah, it is available on on my website, and it's it's not just for parents it's if you work with children as a teacher and you want to understand more about that that brain link we were talking about and the nutrients that fuel concentration um and attention span and memory but also on the other end of the spectrum we often talk about you know children's behavior and it's it's often you know children can rightfully or wrongly you know sometimes you know get told off or get in trouble or you know be disciplined and sometimes There might not have been a need to. Sometimes it might be a biological response. Sometimes there might be something going on that is quite easily solved with food because often some of the traits that come out, not being able to concentrate, being a bit, you know, fidgety, not wanting to sit down, being a bit disruptive, could be something imbalanced nutritionally. And as long as we think in the back of our head as an educator, I'm not just gonna tell that child off because there might be something else. Just, you know. Have another conversation. What did you have for lunch? Are you hungry? You know, Because there's often a reason why a child is behaving, especially if it's in the morning. Just consider, have they actually had breakfast? Mm. Are they hungry? If they're hungry, and we know at the moment the dreadful state we're in with the cost of living and the amount of children, unfortunately, are hungry. If they're hungry, just imagine yourself, if you're hungry, how irritated are you going to be? You're not going to sit. And concentrate. You're going to be mm. all over the place. So, as an educator, food should be part of that in your head, in your toolkit. It shouldn't just be something that you just eat and then that's that. No, it's it's interwoven into everything.
0: Now, one of the things that I personally got from your book, because you very kindly sent the books to me first before I then distributed them to the school, I thought I'm going to read this first, and I read it from cover to cover, and it personally made me think about my childhood and how I was affected and and how, you know, my mum and dad loved me to bits and would give me anything. But I often wondered that they were, they always, there was always a pot of tea on the table even when we had just a normal meal. There was always that tea. And they would always give me a cup of tea with sugar in it. To the point now that after I read your book, I thought to myself, if they hadn't have given me that sugar in my tea would I now be able to have coffee without having a sweetener in it? I don't have sugar anymore Mm -hmm. because I I know sugar is bad, but I still, to this Mm -hmm. day, after seven decades living on this planet, I still cannot go have a cup of coffee without or a cup of tea Mm -hmm. or whatever without having to have one bomb in it, have a, Mm -hmm. a sweetener in it, because of that taste that I had when I was a child, and that made me think. And also I think that um, I I was thinking as I'm getting older now that I've noticed that I don't have anything sweet Mm -hmm. after my tea time meal. So I'll have, because obviously there's sugar in everything, even in in fruit. And so I noticed that if I don't have anything after 5 o'clock, I can actually go all through the night, and bearing in mind, folks, I'm on the cusp of 70. Yes, I'm that old. Um, I I can go through all through the night without being disturbed, if you're with me, Mm -hmm, listeners. mm -hmm. And and yet, if I'm suddenly out somewhere, like I was the other night, and I do eat later, Mm -hmm. I then have to have a disturbed night, and I have to get Mm -hmm. up and go somewhere, if you're with me, Mm -hmm. um, because the sugar in my blood after seven decades on this planet, is starting to have an effect on my body. Mm-hmm. And and the children that we're feeding now hopefully will have a long and a, a, a varied and a happy life. But if we don't look after them now, they could finish up in the same place I am, listeners. So it, think about the food you give your child and what you offer them because, as Louise so rightly says, it has an effect on us as adults in later life and so your book made me think so you your book is a is a wonderful book and i thoroughly recommend folks get, get hold of this book go on to louise's website and get hold of it because it's well worth a good read and it's and it's got some lovely recipes in it as well so it's okay. it's double double whammy there folks um what are you offering now you say you've got some some new courses and things mm-hmm. what what are you offering us now louise
1: So the book obviously was a bit of an introduction. Um, That was nearly five years ago and unfortunately uh, the health situation has got significantly worse. Um, So back in 2018 when I wrote my book I first came upon upon a prediction in the Lancet and it, it shocked me to the core and I've used the prediction for five years since and the prediction was that Quote from the Lancet, if current trends on obesity, lifestyle and nutrition do not change, we cannot expect this generation of children to have as long a life expectancy as the generation before them. So in a nutshell, we are predicting that for the first time in human evolution, that not through war or famine or any other, just through lifestyle, that a generation of children are not expected to live as long as their parents. Now, that was five years ago. And it said, if current trends continue, well, we've had the pandemic, we've now got the cost of living crisis. Those trends haven't continued, they've worsened. So the very stark situation is that we're starting to see children developing, and this has started to happen in 20 years. It's not overnight, but it's really gradual. When things are gradual, we're not alarmed because it's just happening. And then suddenly, there's a really big number, and we think, "Wow, how did that happen?" So, within the last twenty years, one example of how things are changing is children never used to get type two diabetes. It used to be called adult onset diabetes. It used to be linked with middle age. Used to be grown ups. You know, never used to didn't used to think about children. If children were overweight, they you know we just assume they would burn it off, and generally, children did used to grow out of it. Everything is very different. Our food landscape is very different. Children's lifestyles are very different. So now we are seeing we had the first child diagnosed with type 2 diabetes in the year 2000. We've now got over 3,500 children in the UK with type 2 diabetes. Wow. So an exponential increase in 20 years. And that figure is rising. Now, that's just one example. But that, that is an example of that prediction in the Lancet if trends continue we cannot expect generation children to live as long as their parents. And that for me was just, I am still alarmed by that, even though mm-hmm. I say it several times a week, you know, mm-hmm. it still shocks me. So I decided to try to take the message a bit deeper. So the courses, the three of them, take a different aspect of a child. And there's a whole little course about it. So It's all online, it's all on demand. You just basically just Get the you know, get the course, log in, do it whenever you feel like it, in your own time. If you've got time at work, if it can be part of your CPD at work, if you're a teacher or an early years, you know, professional and it's actually your work, do it in work time if you're allowed. Um, they're not long, two and a half hours each, but there's a course on building a child's brain. So like the book, but much deeper all the influences that go into why it's so important that we feed that brain in the early years why it's so difficult now with the cost of living crisis because many schools have taken fish off the menu because of the price so how can we replace those essential fatty acids which are crucial for early years brain development if you're having to take things off your menu please replace them Mm. with something else of the similar nutritional value, not just something that's more economical. And that's, I can help you with that. On a separate note, I do do menu work with schools and nurseries as well, where we do look at things like, if you're taking that off, this is a more economical nutritional equivalent. So that's a side issue. Mm. But the core says building a brain, building a skeleton, because we, we only have childhood as the opportunity to lay down our peak bone mass. Once we've reached peak bone mass, we just have to maintain what we've got. We know we can we can strengthen what we've got, but we can't. You know, childhood is the time when we can get it the best we we want to. For there are so many foundations to future health that are laid down within the window of childhood. And then the third one, and perhaps the most important, because this drives everything else, is shaping food relationships what are the factors that influence the child's habits behaviors and addictions and I know that's a strong word but it's a true word around food and how do we as grown-ups play our part in shaping that food relationship so there's three courses and they are 22 pound each or the offer at the moment is three for two so three courses for 44 pound so if if you are a professional or a, a business a school having a few people within your headcount that have got those courses, it's still a really cost-effective way of gaining that knowledge you have a wellbeing lead or your cook, your chef, your caterers, just a couple of people within a setting each to do that. You don't need every single teacher to do it because once, once someone's done it, they can share. You don't need every single person to do it, but I would strongly recommend one or two people in a school, in a setting to gain that knowledge because Every time I talk to someone, they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. But I'd never thought no. of it because we just don't think about the true depth of food.
0: No. Very, very wise words and shocking statistics just absolutely devastating statistics we we like to think don't we that um and all you who are listening i'm sure that you feel the same way that we like to think that with the advancements of medical science um and hopefully in a few years time some of our um some of the diseases that are taking people's lives now will 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 go we like to think that our children are going to have a much healthier, longer life than us. And it wasn't that long ago that people were boasting that children were going to, it would be easily to live up to a hundred, you know, and yet here is Louise giving us statistics where food could easily cut their, the wrong types of food can easily cut their, their lives shorter. And yet we're constantly bombarded with adverts and with the ease of getting a hold of the food that harms us aren't we Uh, including refined sugar it's very easy to to uh, to 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 buy somebody an ice cream or a donut not realize the incredible levels of sugar that are in a uh, and you think oh it's just a treat but actually it can have a big impact and if if we are hurting our children now What's it going to be like for them when they get to adulthood? And there's shocking statistics with type 2 diabetes in children. That's, that's, that's really worrying, really worrying.
1: It's, it's awful, isn't it? And the, the average age for diagnosis can start around 8, which is really? incredibly young. The that's... youngest ever, it is in America, not in the UK, but the youngest ever diagnosis was age 3. Yeah. So it's, it's a rapid metabolic decline yeah, from the foods, you know, and that's yeah. that is a drastic example, but eight is quite common within the UK.
0: Yeah, um, my dad got type two diabetes when he was uh, he was just j- about the same age as me now. Uh, as he was approaching in, and going into his seventies, and so mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I need to keep an eye on this, and I must admit that I I get my doctor to regularly check me, and I mm-hmm. keep checking to make sure because it's always in the back of my mind that you know obviously as you as your pancreas gets older, it's not being able to deal mm-hmm. with the amounts of sugar. But if if we're getting young children with that, that means their pancreas is going to be working extra hard. Mm. At a much longer period yeah, of it, time, it's a
1: chronic, debilitating, and lifelong condition. I think yeah. that's what people don't realise. They think, "Oh, it can be managed. It can be managed. It can't be reversed." Yeah. So it can be put into remission. You know, and it can it can mm. be dormant. Mm. But so, mm. but a child getting it, as you say, the wear and tear on the body and the emotional, because the child. Mm. And I'm not putting any blame onto grown-ups. My blame is entirely with the food industry. But the child is not making that those decisions for themselves. They're not in control of that, and yet no. they are then placed with a lifelong, you know, condition, you mm. know, through lifestyle. And I completely do not blame parents. I completely blame the food industry yeah. because they are designing deliberately designing mm. foods that are, their words, hyperpalatable, mm. which means we can consume them to excess because they are designed and they are designed. It's not real food, let's be honest. This is engineered food. Um, there is more information on this on one of my blogs. It's ultra processed foods and processed foods are not a problem. Processed foods is is olive oil, is butter, mm. is mm. A, you know, a tin of tomatoes. Mm. The problem is not them. They've been around a long time. They haven't done us any harm. It's the new category, which are only 20, 30 years old, but mm. now becoming the norm. Mm. for many, you know, food intakes, and that's the ultra-processed foods. And these are designed to make sure that we don't need to chew them very much because when we chew, we produce a hormone that tells us that we're full. We produce this hormone, leptin, and that says, you know, biologically you're satisfied, you're full now. These foods are designed to bypass that. Mm. They are designed to have a certain texture that we don't need to chew them as much so that we can eat them quicker, and eat more of them because we're mm. not being told that we're full.
0: Mm. So these sorts I've of
1: th- are what we're up against.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always had to watch my weight all my life, and um, and I've I, I I remember my doctor saying to me, just eat slower. Mm-hmm. Just if you if you slow it down, your 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 brain starts saying, I've, you've eaten now." Rather than trying to get it in, and I and I guess that um, I'm not I'm not going to mention them for legal reasons, and I don't want to be sued. But uh, there's there's an advert that's going around at the minute which makes me really really cross, where a well-known food chain, uh, a takeaway chain, is saying that they are giving away free books because children haven't got books, mm-hmm. and yet they're still peddling they are still peddling the food that mm-hmm. could. As as your statistics have have shared, um, could do far more damage to a child's body because you know, folks, um, and I know this from my my own dear dad that if you don't watch type two diabetes, he did, but he was always warned that you know he could lose limbs, mm-hmm. um, and eyes. Um, no, mm-hmm. you know, eyes, yeah. So parents, p- please, you know, get this book think about these courses. All you teachers out there, think about these courses. Look at at your school menus like Dogsthorpe Infant School did, and have a think about ways in which you can um, help our children um, to have much better, healthier lives. Louise, uh, where, where can people go to get you on the website, I'm guessing,
1: if they go to your website? My website, yeah, the thehealthcare.co.co.uk has got the book. And then there's a page on there called CPD Courses, which has got the links to the course as well. And the links will automatically bring the offer in as well.
0: Brilliant, well, thanks for your time today, Louise. Long may your wonderful work continue and your courses um hopefully we'll get some some of our our folk to 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 join in your courses because we need to we need to do this and we need to be aware and keep up to date with with what's going on so thank you uh folks. If you want to go on and you you didn't catch the website don't worry, go into the text of this podcast. Click on the link and you'll get straight to the courses, straight to Louise's wonderful book. Louise, thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Well,
0: that's it for another week, folks. Captain Dave and Eddie will be back again soon with another launchpad. They'll have more great guests, more places to see and more interesting things to share on the learning journey. So until next week, be kind, be respectful and always remember to dream, believe and shine. This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster, the Dogsthorpe Infant School wellbeing dog. This delightful Cavalier King Charles Spaniel offers hugs, paw shakes and high fives to help children of every age
1: to dream, believe and shine.